Welcome to episode 27 of Inbound Agency Journey. This is Andrew. So excited to have you here right now. Thanks for taking the time to plug us in and listen to this podcast. Today we're bringing you a cool conversation with Paul Avery. Now, Paul is the CEO of Biostrata. They are a life sciences focused inbound marketing agency in Cambridge, UK. Cool conversation. You're going to find some really cool insights on how to pick a really niche vertical and go after it hardcore. So without further ado, folks, here we go. Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. This is the show where inbound agency leaders share the strategies, shortcomings, and successes they've experienced in their journey toward building their dream agency. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew and Gray. Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. Excited to bring Paul Avery from Biostrata onto the podcast today. Paul, do you want to open us up and just share with listeners a little bit of a background on how you got to be where you are today and what your agency story looks like? Sure. Um, well, first of all, thanks very much for having me today. Really appreciate you having me on the podcast. Um, Biostrata is kind of a, an interesting agency, I hope, in that we're very, very specialist uh, in the life sciences. So I'll try and give you a bit more detail about how that came to happen. But so Biostrata is maybe a little under two years old now. It was uh, founded by myself and the other managing director, a lady named Claire Russell. Um, and we're now up to about 11 people. So we've been growing steadily, uh, which is great. As I mentioned, you know, we're a, we're a specialist in the sciences. And, uh, and that kind of happened because that's kind of our background. So Claire and I, we both started life um, as researchers at the bench in research laboratories, you know, doing science. Um, and, you know, when you look at our team, a number of our team come from a similar background. And I think speaking personally, I always found that I was much better at talking about science than I was actually doing the research <laughs> and the experiments, you know. So then I was like, OK, I've got to try and play to my strengths here. Um, you know, what can I look at doing uh, that, that is going to, you know, allow me to still stay in science, but maybe find a slightly different role. And that's when I sort of found marketing and communications and I fell in love with the sector because, you know, there's so much cool stuff that you can do. It can be very, very strategic. One moment you're really thinking about the direction that you're trying to take a client's business in. And the next moment you're like, you're trying to come up with a really cool story for a blog that, you know, really helps to showcase their knowledge and their passion. So you get to mix all of that up in one go, which is great. And I kind of think that's the sweet spot that Biostrata tries to offer in that because we have that innate understanding of the science, we can really help our clients tell stories that their sort of end users really going to engage with um, on all the levels, you know, because science is kind of a, it's a really unique type of audience because science for many people, it's not a job. I mean, it is their job, but they're so passionate about it that they'll work till midnight on their research project so you kind of really need to be able to show that you understand that mindset and kind of speak to them as peers and i think that's where where we really try and help our clients out that's awesome did you did you start the agency with this focus or is this something that as you grew your natural understanding and natural um connections kind of brought you to this focus and it was sort of a phase two of the agency yeah that's a really good question so um, effectively, um, Claire and I both have strong backgrounds in scientific communication. So we both worked at agencies before we founded Biostratus, and those agencies themselves were specialists in the scientific sector. So this is how we've always been. We've always thought science first and then sort of marketing and business second and then mix the two. 
um, never really looked to expand out of our niche too much. But to be fair, life science for us has a pretty broad definition anyway. So one minute we might be working with a client that's creating some tools that a research uses in the lab. But the next moment we might be working with a client that's developed a new diagnostic test for medical labs or medical devices for delivering, you know, medicines, uh, you know, into people's bodies. So it's, it's, it's kind of diverse anyway. Um, but yeah, we, we got into it from the start. That's great. That just seems like a, to tackle a niche like that, is it, are you creating content internally for them or how are you handling the complexities of each specific case? Walk us through kind of a recent success story or what does your typical customer onboarding process look like? How do you get into an organization and understand the specifics of that client? Yeah, no, that's a, that's, that's a good question as well because it really depends on the client. So some of our clients love working with us because they've got really strong marketing people in, in their marketing team, but maybe those people don't have a science background and they rely on their internal sort of key opinion leaders and scientific experts within their sort of technical teams. And what we come in as almost as interpreters, right, because we can speak to their technical teams as scientific peers, but we yeah. also understand what the marketing teams are looking to achieve from a commercial perspective and we can kind of bridge the gap. So. Sometimes we'll come in and maybe we'll be brought in really to help with the marketing strategy and to talk about, you know, the benefits of inbound or, or other stra uh, strategies and tactics we might recommend. In other cases, we're really being relied upon to generate the content and really infuse some of our expertise along with the expertise of, of our clients' internal experts to try and tell those stories. So I think, you know, a really good example is we're working with a client at the moment and, and a number of our clients are like this, where they create their products are the unsung heroes of the lab. They're the things that help scientists make discoveries that you never think about until they break. So, you know, so quite often the challenge is, you know, how do we take this product? How do we make it much more sexier and interesting? Because people are not thinking about it, but it's really important. So, you know, we're working with a client at the moment and we're really lucky because they've got a fantastic team internally as well. So when you take, you know, our experts and their experts and you put them together, I think that's when the magic happens. And then we've just come up with some really strong content ideas, whether it's blogs or ebooks, infographics, even comics that just really bring out, hey, this is a really important part of your research. I know you don't think about it every day, but you should. And here's why. And, and that's been really successful for the client. I think they really like what we're bringing to the party. And I think as a team, we're really helping to uh, hit some of their metrics in terms of driving people to the website, etc. So yeah, it's been great. That's cool. That's awesome. I love the idea of creating epic content in boring industries. And it sounds like that's a lot of what you guys are doing for these different companies. Um, do you ever get any pushback from a client when you want to sort of, you know, sexy up something that they think um, doesn't need it or, or they kind of doubt the, the comic approach or a lighthearted approach to something like that? I think it's really important. So when we're onboarding a client, we really try and have these discussions up front. So some of our clients seek us out to do exactly that. Um, and I, I think it tends to be the sort of mid-size and maybe even the smaller companies that are nimble enough to try and embrace some of some of these new ideas and to try and maybe differentiate themselves in the market by entertaining their audience as well as educating and informing them. In other cases, sure, you know, we work with some massive global corporates that you know they have very strict guidelines about how they can communicate 
um, with their audiences. But you know what? I, I even see now, I see the flexibility in those audiences that if you can make a really strong justification as to why this is going to resonate, you know, if it's based on market research or quite often we can look upon our own personal experiences in the lab, you know, in, uh, we have a you know a multicultural team of people who've worked in labs in different countries and can say, look, this is really going to resonate with your with the people you're trying to reach. Trust us. And then what usually happens is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Fortunately, most of the time we're correct, and then that, <laughs> that helps to trigger some buy-in further down the line. And you know, even when we're not correct, we'll put our hands up and say, "Yeah, that didn't really work." You know, what other stuff can we do? That's great. So now you you've got a growing team. You're up to eleven people now, and it sounds like they've all got industry experience as well. Any insight that you could share on how to grow your team smart when you've selected such a a narrow vertical like this? Yeah, no, it's um. I think for us, one of the things that we've we've got better at certainly is is hiring so we want people who who when they come into the team they embody a certain uh, set of characteristics that we're looking for they have certain strengths that we're looking for um, and we've really developed a hiring process to try and tease them out during the interviews so the only reason I think that we've been able to grow the way we have and be as successful as we have so far is because we've built a great team um, and they definitely deserve all the credit um, what what I think is more challenging over time is to try and get enough diversity within your team, especially when you work in a, in a niche industry like we do to make sure that when the client comes with a challenge, that's a bit left field. You've got someone with experience. who can say, yeah, you know, we haven't done that by Strata, but 10 years ago when I was working, you know, client side, um, we did this, this, and this, and then we can still provide those, those solutions, even though maybe they're, not necessarily within the the sweet spot of what Biostrata has been doing. So we're kind of looking for industry specific skills. Yes, but we're also trying to keep our team diverse in that it allows us to react to those more challenging client problems. Now, from a process standpoint, do you, do you guys have any internal processes that you're really proud of or things that you have put in place over the past two years to really streamline any of the content gathering processes or any ways that your, your team manages client work? Yeah, I think one of the favorite things that, we, that we've implemented that, that I really like and I think clients really like is um, the way that we manage our job list. So... We have a number of systems that we use, but one that really resonates with our clients is we'll use Google Spreadsheets to track a series of jobs. So it kind of sounds a bit rudimentary, but one of the great things about it is it's always live and we give the clients access. So when we're doing catch-up calls, it's all driven by this, this, this project management spreadsheet. When we... Um, when we're working on a project, they can log in at any time of day or night and see where the project is. And that level of transparency really helps to build trust. And I think that that in the future, what we'll look to do is to try and consolidate as many of these tools as we can, because we're I do think we're using a disparate amount of tools and we kind of maybe need to consolidate a bit. Um, but it'll be looking at these things that we know clients really love and trying to make sure that whatever tools we settle on have the things that we need. Do you ever get any pushback from your team or how did you get to that point of complete transparency and bringing the client into that management space? I know that's something that some agencies struggle with. They, they want the client to see what they're doing, but they might not want them to see absolutely everything. Have you guys had that internal conversation when it comes to opening project management up to the client side? Yeah, I mean, um, we want to be as transparent as we can be, but at the same time, I think 
if the clients sat next to you while you do everything, I think they're going to feel a little <laughs> bit like, you know, why are we hiring you to do this? I'm kind of trusting you to carry some of the load for me here. So I think the level of transparency we have for our clients is probably just about right in that they can access all this stuff whenever they want to. Um, but how frequently they do, hopefully they get to the point where they start to trust us and, and we only sure. really look at it together when we're on our, on our calls. Um, the other thing is, you know, and you'll know this yourself, Andrew, when you're developing content, you're going to go through a number of internal edits before you ever send that to the client because you want the client to already get something that's really high quality that they hopefully don't have to spend too much time inputting on. So, you know, we'll do the normal things that agencies do where we'll have a very stringent QC process internally to make sure that everything a client gets is awesome. Um, so yeah, the, you know, it's about managing uh, that process, not because you've got, you're trying to hide anything, but because the client's trusting you to, to carry some of the load. And if they have to input too much, then you're kind of not doing your jobs. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Building that level of trust and leading with transparency so that through time they begin to trust you. You don't come in and ask for trust without having earned it. I like that positioning as an agency. Can you share any any struggles that you guys have gone through over the last two years that you've really been able to look back on and learn from and then implement change inside the company? Yeah, so I think that <laughs> I think when you're a, a you know a founder, you kind of at the beginning you feel like your company's like an extension of you, right? Because a lot of people will associate the company's brand with your personal brand. So I think one of the, the journeys that Claire and I have gone on is really to not have to be involved with everything and not and you know trying to let go of, of items because we've built a great team and we can trust the team to deliver on on these projects and, and you know they're smart people and they solve problems really well. But you just over time, you just really need to try and dissociate yourself. Biostrata, it, when it started, it was Claire and, and Paul and, and you know maybe a couple of others. Um, but now we've got a team of eleven. Biostrata is, is its own entity, and it's made up of the the strengths of the team. And I think one of the things we've had to learn over time um, is to really trust in the team and and let them deliver rather than trying to sort of take hold of too much stuff and overmanage it. So I, I hope we're learning to do that better. I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll always continue to improve on that front. Oh, definitely. Yeah, as a leader, it's, it's hard once you've started something to bring someone in and then empower them in a certain role, defining expectations for them, empowering them to make decisions, and then just stepping back in trust. That's, a, that's definitely a process to walk through. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned tools a little bit, but I'd like to dive a little bit deeper um, do you have any favorite tools that you use that might be lesser known to the audience uh, at any any aspect of your your internal process? Yeah, so I think one thing I, I like to use personally, and I think the team certainly dabbling with it as well, um, is not probably lesser known, but it's got so many applications. It's like, what cool stuff can I do with it? Is tools like um, Zapier and um, uh, If This Then That, because they allow you to look at the things that you're doing and say, oh, you know, I'm wasting so much time moving this from here to there. Why do I do that? So, for example, I've got, um, I think it's through if, if this, then that, but I've effectively got Zap set up that if I star an email, um, it automatically creates half an hour block in my calendar that day to take care of that email because we tend to use our calendars to manage our work and the rest of the teams where everybody uses their calendar. So that's just something that saves me forgetting about something that's at the bottom of my email that I, that I need to do. Bang. I star it. It goes straight in my calendar. 
Um, I think the other thing that, that we're quite good at using and we're quite proactive in trying to sort of teach each other that's maybe underused by some is, um, is just keyboard shortcuts. I mean, you can save yourself so much time if you just learn all the Windows keyboard shortcuts um, to just do things quickly. Copy pasting is a simple thing, but in my email I have Outlook shortcuts set up so that I can archive, delete, and star emails really, really fast so that, you know, first thing in the morning I can say I've got 20 emails and then, you know, in less than a minute I know what I'm going to focus on in the day. Everything else that's archived goes in the archive and then if I have to delete things that maybe aren't so relevant, they get deleted too. I love that. And it's it's something that takes some time to learn so you can feel like when you're trying to learn those shortcuts inside of whatever platform it is. I know in video editing, if you can master those keyboard shortcuts, you can really carve a lot of time off of um, cutting through video or editing podcasts, same thing. Um, Absolutely. So just invest that time up front and then it bears fruit through time as you go. Those seconds add up day after day after day. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, let's tap into who you are, Paul, as a person. Um, you're leading a team, a growing agency. Walk us through a typical morning. What do you do to prime yourself for success each day? (laughs) So what I want to tell you is that, you know, I wake up, I go to the gym, et cetera, et cetera. But the truth is I wake up and I check my emails (laughs) because I want to, I want to get ahead and I want to know what's going to happen in the day. What's happened overnight. You know, we work with a number of um, U.S. partners and U.S. clients, so there's always sure to be emails in my inbox um, from the U.S. Um, So, um, you know, the first thing I'll do is just double check there isn't something absolutely super urgent that I need to jump straight on. And then actually I go out and I take my my dog Bessie for a walk half an hour in the park. You know, she's really energetic as it is, so I can't email people. I don't really call people because no one else is in the office. So I get half an hour to just really think about, you know, what am I going to do today? What am I going to achieve today? You know, when I hit 5.30, what's the three things I absolutely have to get done? You know, what what challenges can I see that are going to come up in the day? And it's, you know, there's a lot of people that talk about, going for walks and just trying to let your subconscious, you know, chew through, through things on its own, uh, on its own timescale. And I'm a big believer that in that as well. You know, sometimes when I'm in the office, I'll just go for a walk for 20 minutes and the solution will just start to sort itself out in my head so that when I get back to my computer, I can just, you know, knock it out. I love that. Just kind of cooling down, getting away from things. I think it was C.S. Lewis was famous for an afternoon walk as well. So I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Absolutely. Um, Paul, if folks want to get in contact with you, what is the best way that they can reach out and connect? So I think uh, I'm obviously pretty active on LinkedIn. So um, it's, I think my, my handle is forward slash Paul S. Avery. But the easiest way, to be honest, to get hold of me is email. So my email is pavery, or one word, so that's P-A-V-E-R-Y, at biostratamarketing.com. Awesome. Well, we'll include both of those things in the show notes. Thank you so much for just coming in and sharing about how you've built the agency up, your background, and there's tons of value in this in this interview. So thank you for sharing it with the Inbound Agency Journey community. No worries. Thanks ever so much for having me. I appreciate it. This episode of Inbound Agency Journey is brought to you by Do Inbound, the world's first project and process management tool built specifically for inbound marketing agencies. If you want to learn how to manage, track, and scale your inbound agency with a pre-built and proven system, visit doinbound.com slash journey. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash journey. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back. This is Gray McKenzie joining Andrew to recap his conversation with Paul Avery. Andrew, hit me with your one or two big takeaways from that convo with Paul. We always talk about niches here on the show, Gray, and selecting a vertical as an agency. How do you get to that point? Do you discover it or do you just pick it and run with it? And so Paul is a really cool example because of how focused they are in the life sciences industry and the background that they all have. So that was a cool takeaway I had walking away is just not only does he have that background, his partner has that background, but they build their team around people who've been at the lab and they understand the target persona really, really well. So it reminded me of the convo that you had um, with Patrick Bidiscombe a few weeks ago, how they target SaaS companies and a lot of the core team members that they have come from SaaS companies. So they really understand the persona well. So if you're going to get into a situation where you've identified a target niche like this, it might, when you think about growing your team and expanding your team, and that's, a, that's a, a question we hear coming up over and over again. How do I do that well? If you've got a vertical selected, that can kind of give you a good place to start in terms of how to expand your team and what core competencies to bring on. Yeah, to echo that, here's one of the things that I thought about, and I mean no offense to Paul and his team at all by saying this, but when you think biostrata, I don't instantly think inbound marketing agency. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just appreciate the fact that, hey, this is an area that we want to get to get into that we're going to specialize in. We have background here. Um, and so everything that they're doing is kind of focused around this vertical. And I respect that kind of focus a lot. Yeah, I think it's going to pay dividends across the board because inbound as an idea is growing really fast. And this inbound agency community is growing really quickly. And so the more the more people that get out there, the harder and harder it is to separate and make your presence known. So you can do it a couple different ways. You could focus on geography and limit yourself to the city where you are located or the, you know, 100 miles around where you are. Or you can pick a vertical and you can get really, really specific in the type of clients that you help. And then you open the door to a global audience. And I think that's what Paul has done well. They've got folk, they've got clients over here in the U.S. and they're a team of 11 and they're growing quickly. So as you're thinking about how you grow, I think selecting a vertical is core to that growth trajectory there. Yeah. And one of the topics that you guys got into, which was kind of near and dear to our heart, Andrew, is talking about how do you create content that's interesting, that's engaging to folks in boring industries. And this is you know, life science marketing. You don't you don't hear that and go, oh wow, I can't wait to read more. Yeah. Um, so I just I think that uh, by by specializing in that industry and then by by being in that vertical, they're giving themselves the background and expertise to show people what they have done in related fields and that they can make this interesting and engage people and really drive leads and new business for your company in this space. Yeah, it reminded me of your convo with Jeff White, how, I mean, they do like revenue calculators and cool web dev offers, but Paul was talking about creating comics and doing fun stuff like that where it's different than the traditional inbound ideas, the inbound assets, the templates that HubSpot gives you as a HubSpot partner that you can white label and customize. Shake up the freaking game. That is really cool. Take something boring and spice it up. And he used the example of something that is vital in the lab but doesn't get a lot of attention. I mean, you can apply that to anything if you're focusing on lawyers, if you're focusing on industrial manufacturing, if you're focusing on you know, corporate landscaping, whatever it is. You can find those things that aren't sexy in the process but are vital to getting the job done right. 
And adding a little bit of creative flair to those things can really be a good uh, separation from a crowded space. Yeah. You know what? Uh, when you mentioned the comics, what that initially reminded me of, have you seen the Denny's blog? No, I haven't. Like Denny's the restaurant? Yeah, Denny's Diner. So they're like boring, like been around forever diner. But their blog, which is this blog.denny's.com, is really funny. They've got all these like animated gifs and comments and um like there's this there's this one uh there's a there's a couple animated ones that are that are pretty funny but um they've got this traffic guard just like waving i've got it pulled up right now he's just waving like a pancake an egg and a piece <laughs> of bacon across the street and it just says make way for a safe breakfast please but it's this is something everybody knows what denny's has uh they get passed over i'm sure all the time because you know, when it comes down to what they deliver, how many other restaurants do uh, what seems like the exact same thing, but but they're spicing up the experience that you have online and the perception that you have of their brand, and that uh, transfers in a lot of ways into um, you know like your perception when you're considering where you're going to go for breakfast or whatever time you like to go to Denny's. Um, so I just that that's kind of what it reminded me of is you're taking something that's boring that everybody. Uh, in the space already has some familiarity with uh, and you're spicing it up significantly by doing something that's unexpected. Yeah, I love it. Get creative, folks. Your marketers out there, don't just take templates and follow the same thing. Go ahead and test the waters. I think, Gray, this is a really good point to emphasize that the inbound agencies that are winning are ones that are doing inbound on themselves. So it's a business risk to go out and try new things on your clients. But if you can, if you're doing inbound as an agency and you're treating yourself as your biggest retainer, which you are, if you're not marketing for yourself, you're you're just you're delaying the inevitable. You're on your way to closing. You have to be telling your story. You have to be bringing in inbound leads. You've got no leverage over over legacy clients if you're not doing inbound for yourself. But that's also your avenue to try these fun things out to to build those processes into your workflow so that you know when I, when I undertake this for a client, I've done something in the space before. And so try it out on yourself and see what works and what doesn't work and take what works and apply it to the clients. Even in boring industries, it'll work out well for you. Yep. Man, good stuff. Well, hats off to Paul and his team at Biostrata pushing things forward. Uh, hats off to you for sticking with us for this episode. Thanks for tuning in again. We appreciate it. Any feedback you have on the show, uh, suggestions for future guests or just uh, your comments or questions about running an inbound marketing agency, shoot them our way. You are welcome to leave a comment on the show notes, which is uh, if you go to doinbound.com slash podcast, that'll take you to the show notes. And you can also hit us up on Twitter. Andrew is at Andrew J. Dimsky, and I am at S. Gray McKenzie on Twitter. And until next time, we encourage you guys to take to heart the lessons that you learned here and just continue to push the envelope forward in your marketing at your agency. Thank you for listening to Inbound Agency Journey. You can find the show's notes for today's episode at doinbound.com slash podcast. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe or leave us a review of the show. Until next time, remember, life is a journey. Keep moving forward. <laughs>